of her sealed retro wagon. The gruff delivery of Sweet Pea Atkinson of the Bone Shakers emanated from the front and rear speakers as the ex-showgirl guided the sleek 1979 jade-green Givenchy-accented car toward her destination. In those days, Mercury had tried to boost sales of Lincolns by introducing a collector series of sedans. The idea was to use noted fashion designers to work their runway magic on steel, as they had done for cloth. Bill Blass came up with nautical-inspired themes, while Emilio Pucci went in for maroon and gunmetal grays. Even Cartier, the jeweler, got in the act and provided Continentals with touches of foreign elegance and champagne-colored bodies, much the same as one could nowadays buy Eddie Bauer Ford Explorers. The Givenchy Lincoln she was driving had been restored to assembly line freshness, replete with butter-soft turquoise leather interior and black highlights on the dash and trim. There was a gas-gulping 400 V8 under the hood, and the vehicle suspension system provided for smooth riding over the terrain, like it was a sled over new-fallen snow. The crafters who'd worked on the car had done an award-winning job on the vehicle. The thing was a throwback to an era when American car companies operated as if fossil fuels would never end. And it was our birthright to use whatever means to keep the black gold flowing in the engines of big, impractical cars like this Lincoln. Cheney considered such an outlook. The belief that the product of the petroleum tap would always be ours got shattered in 1979, when another fuel shortage hit due to Middle East unrest and some speculated chicanery by multinational oil companies. Apparently, sales of Lincolns had remained brisk. People were going to have their luxury cars even if they had to be hitched to a team of horses. Even now, decades later, you had sales of bigger and bolder SUVs at an all-time high, countering the dictates of common sense. Ah, the American spirit, she reflected yawning loudly. Folks wanted what they wanted and when they wanted it. Certainly that axiom was embodied in Frankie de Gaulle. De Gaulle was not a man one could charitably call patient. He enjoyed his fits of pique and being able to exercise his caprice on those who depended on him for their paychecks. With his more reasonable sister, Victoria, he ran the Riverhead Casino on the Strip in Vegas. It was a bright construct of tri-level gaming floors, restricted rooms for the whales, the high rollers, and a mere 728 rooms for guests, sneering at tradition and maybe fate. Frankie de Gaulle had insisted the elevators have a button for the 13th floor. If you were going to romp in Frankie's playground, then you did so by his rules. And rule number friggin' one he was inclined to remind you in that fake wise guy ease he'd adopt was not to fuck with his money. If you owed, you made your marker good. If you borrowed, you paid on time, no whining, and preferably grinning as you handed over the vig, too. When discussing the subject of money, de Gaulle would hunch his shoulders a lot and work his neck like he had a crook in it. He manifested all sorts of tics and irritating mafiosi behavior he'd gleaned from TV shows and movies. He was connected, that was true. But like many of the third and fourth generation of the original Mustache Peets, de Gaulle learned to use a calculator much more adeptly than the business end of a crowbar. Getting his MBA from Smith had prepared him for what he was, a spoiled brat who had benefited from the pernicious labors of his forebearers. 
Yet, like the needs of those gents from the halcyon days of Vegas's ascendancy, there were still situations when substantial amounts of cash were generated off the books, as it were. In the past, those funds had been the skim money from the slots and crap tables, whore dollars and heroin profits. These days, Vegas offered thrilling roller coaster rides that slammed your stomach against your spine, galleries of highbrow art and knights having a joust while the kids ate chicken dinners. Beneath that patina of family friendliness and beyond the climate-controlled boardrooms, the methods of the old school prevailed. How one got the scratch was more sophisticated, but sex and drugs remained the basis upon which millions could be realized. And the fact that these monies were obtained through nefarious means meant you had to hide it from a plethora of authorities and agencies that were forever probing the doings of the movers and shakers on the Strip.